0: Welcome to Governmentality, the podcast based in Aotearoa, New Zealand, where everything's political. We'll talk you through the opinions of old people and young people and help you to understand how all the buzz in the beehive affects you everybody. Welcome back to Governmentality. My name is Holly.
1: And I'm Zandi. And today we've got a very special guest.
0: We have Taylor Arneal um, from New Zealand First Party, who is the Wellington Central candidate. So welcome on, Taylor. You can give a bit of a spiel about about yourself if you like.
2: <laughs> uh, well, thank you for having me first and foremost. It's really good to be here today. Uh, it's always actually good to be back at Vic Uni, where I studied not only my BA in International Relations and Political Science, but also yes. my <laughs> Master's in Strategic <laughs> Studies as well. Cool. So it's always good. Coming back here.
0: So we'll dive right in. Um, we have a few quick questions about New Zealand first, kind of to provide a broad basis of understanding okay. what you kind of stand for, I guess. So um, these are these are yes or no, unless otherwise specified, or yep. like very short answer. Short Politicians thing. always have a hard time with these <laughs> ones, no matter how much we insist. So yep. let's give it a try for, okay. so <laughs> for, for the end the f- of time. So for
1: the first question, in five words or less, what do you think is the most important issue affecting young people today? Lack of well-paying jobs. That's exactly five. <laughs> All right. Uh, second question: Do you plan to increase mental health support for university students in New Zealand? Yes or uh, no? Yes.
0: Okay. Uh, do you support increasing funding to public transport?
1: Yes. What is your favorite musician? Uh,
2: Nathan Wagner. He favorite. does a mix of rock, pop, and also covers as well. Mm, okay. so favorite song. Favorite song. Ooh, the hardest one. Probably the probably the hero. Yeah.
0: Nice. nice, Nice. cool. All right. Um, So as New Zealand First, I think, what do you think separates New Zealand First from other parties in Parliament? Like what's the most distinct element for you and why did you kind of gravitate towards New Zealand First as opposed to other parties? Uh,
2: The thing that sets New Zealand First out from all the other parties is that we are neither left nor right. We are centralists. We recognise that there are good ideas on both sides, but sometimes those ideas, they go too far or they're not actually grounded in the reality of today. They, they they are great theory on paper, but when it comes down to actually implementing them, they're not all that great. So it's about taking the best from both sides and then implementing them and putting them together so that all New Zealanders benefit. It is mainly as well just the common sense policies that we tend to have and actually just being able to say, look, this is an issue, but it doesn't have to be this complicated. There is a common sense solution here to it. And that's what we need to be doing here. And that was one of the things that gravitated me towards the party when I was studying and when I was um, going to be voting for the first time of my life mm. in 2017.
0: Mm. Cool, cool. So what kind of drew you into politics? Why have you decided to stand What's for your story? Central? Yeah.
2: My story is a bit of a long one, but it starts when I was back in Australia. Uh, both of my parents are teachers, uh, qualified here in New Zealand, and so I was originally thinking about you know I love hi- I love history, I can talk about it forever, and people always say they learn something new for me, so I may as well go become a teacher, do what you love. <laughs> yeah. But then when I was um, at a friend's or my parents' friends party, because your parents are teachers, they hang out with teachers, Mm. there was a younger teacher there and they were talking about the issues that is currently in the system and everybody else was saying, oh, but it's been like that for the last 20 years and it's not going to change. And I suddenly just had this sort of outside of my body moment where I saw myself 20 years down the line complaining about the exact same things that my parents were complaining about or that these other teachers were complaining about. And I sort of thought to myself, well, there's just been this great big review here in Victoria and this new reform, and it hasn't helped at all. It's Mm. that they've ignored these teachers. So I sort of decided, you know, as as much as I want to be one, a teacher, I don't want to waste 20 years of my life trying to help people, trying to help kids just for a new reform to come along, and they fall through the gaps completely. I'd actually rather be that decision maker listening to people and actually trying to implement a system that works for them and isn't just a cost-cutting measure by stealth or isn't just an experiment that we're going to try and test out see how it goes and we'll figure it out going forward and that's what got me into politics it was actually I want to be able to go to people or have them come to me talk to them listen to what their issues are and then try and do something about it mm. and as much as you can do that through advocacy. At the end of the day, if the government in power isn't the government that you have good relations with, then all that work is going to go backwards very, very quickly. So that's one of the reasons why I got into politics, just trying to, or want, or the will to be a decision maker and to help everyone, not just someone.
1: Moving on to cost of living crisis, yep. we sort of see this a lot in the papers and on the news. We see it in the supermarkets; the prices just like everything's getting more expensive. It's just harder to live. Rents are going up, prices are going up. I mean, my tomatoes cost me—I think I paid fourteen dollars a kilo for tomatoes yesterday. Yep. Um, Basically, it's expensive to live. And what is New Zealand First policy when it comes to the cost of living? One of New
2: Zealand's first cost of living areas is universal student allowance. But um, we can probably talk about mm. that a bit later with the student loan policy. Another one that we are really push- pushing is GST off basic food items, which will be decided by an expert panel. It's, it's really weird because that's been New Zealand First policy for a very, very long time. But the media has never really spoken Mm. about it or given it any airtime. And now that Labour has suddenly put it onto their portfolio, they're now getting all the attention about it. It's Mm. a bit annoying.
0: With that policy, um, just just really quickly, hasn't there been a lot of... like? Uh, backlash in terms of understanding how, like the fiscal implications of g- reducing GST on food. like The profit does not go to the consumer, right? Like The argument is that yeah. the, the profit just goes to supermarket. So why do you still stand by that? Uh,
2: we stand by it because Winston said very clearly that you look at, uh, at where it is not uh, in place on fresh food overseas and it has worked out over there. And so one of the reasons why it is going to be decided by the expert panel is to ensure that there are savings mm-hmm. for people and that we don't have an issue like what we saw with Chris in the media press gallery where people were holding up fresh plants with basil on them, and
1: that wouldn't be classified or bags of frozen veggies, that sort of stuff. But just um, on that, isn't one of the reasons why it works out overseas because they've got more than two supermarket chains? um, Yes, and that is something that we are going to be looking more into if we
2: get into government. Yeah, But um, another one that we have uh, for cost of living uh, crisis is actually for tax brackets to be adjusted with inflation because... Mm. It is wrong for you to work more just to try and make ends meet just to suddenly find out, oh, I've been pushed up into a higher tax bracket. Now I'm $200 poorer this week. Mm, That is very wrong. And the fact that the government has had three years to do that and they haven't done that, it's almost like they're allergic to touching tax brackets. Mm. Really, it just boggles my brain as to who they're looking out for at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. And then... At the same time, another one that we want to do is actually expand aquaculture a lot in New Zealand because if you look at the price of seafood, for example, in the Mm. supermarkets, it is just... Absolutely insane, mm. and the more seafood that we are able to produce as a country, the cheaper that it will become. While also growing our export economy so it's a bit of. Can a I just
1: ask you just, one. Like, to like yep. go over like what does that actually look like in concrete terms? Like obviously a lot of our might not have had the term agriculture before. Could you just yep. take us through a little bit as so
2: the aquaculture, the policy is that we will exempt aquaculture from the 2010 policy statement, which has been stopping progress and development of the aquaculture industry so in New like Zealand. So that's like fishing and farming and uh, like yeah, basically. Action. Yeah, yeah, fishing, uh, fish farming, essentially, fish farming, yeah, and there yeah. are areas of New Zealand where we could do that very efficiently and at an amazing level. But that policy statement is stopping that work from happening, so and how it's is that policy stopping the work from happening? Um, I, I need to. Um, it's just the bureaucratic, the the bureaucratic side of it all is really hampering that growth. And at the same time, it's just too much consulting needs to happen. Too many people are having to have a say in it all. And it's really hampering small rural communities where they need growth, they need jobs. It's very dire out there. Young people Mm. don't see any future out there. And they have amazing economic potential. But this statement is stopping them from being Mm. able to do that. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for
0: that. Um, In terms of, like, I suppose this is um, a a cost of living discussion, but more targeted towards Wellington Central, right? Obviously Mm -hmm. housing and, like, rent prices are a massive issue for young people at the moment. Um, I could list off, I don't know, every single one of my friends (laughs) paying horrendous (laughs) amounts of money in rent per week, right? Um, Does New Zealand First have any specific housing policy or anything designed to tackle, um, you know, um, rent issues on that front?
2: Uh, We do have a housing policy, but it has not been announced yet, I'm afraid. And so I can't go into it as much as I would love to go into it. I would walk out of here and then I know that someone would have found out somewhere <laughs> and I would just be chewed to bits. Because, Do we have a yeah, rough not, estimate for when that plot will release? I I know But that you it, do plan to release a policy. We do plan to release policy, a housing policy. It's gonna be released. Yeah, we do we're. we do plan to release a housing policy. Right mm. now Winston's um schedule is being finalised and once that schedule is finalised then there will be sort of a plan of where he will be announcing that policy. I don't know where he will be announcing it, but it is literally a case mm. of just keep an eye on what Winston is announcing. It will come.
0: Will it be good for young people?
2: I do believe it will be, yes.
0: Okay. on the young people stuff right mm-hmm. something that i can't find on your policy website or a platform whatsoever is climate change <laughs> policy or environmental like like explicit environmental policy really it is really? there it is there
1: yeah, maybe i, I didn't it read it a, can you a enough bit of a highlight? <laughs> I mean, environmental um, climate change is yep. sort of like a really okay. big issue for young people today i'm yep. like what is New Zealand First the okay. doing about it? So when yeah. it
2: comes down to climate change, the party is opposed to climate adaption because we are being harmed by bad international actors who are not lowering their own carbon emissions. And while lowering our own, we are harming ourselves and our export industry that is paying for a lot of our environmental policies, it is not long-term sustainable. But we are 100% in favour of climate resilience because we need to be prepared to face climate events as they are happening more frequently and they're becoming more destructive. So we need to be able to respond to those events mm. in the so, future. So one part of that uh, is that um, we do want to see additional funding for the New Zealand Defence Force. We want to see it. I'm not sure on how much we want to see, because when there is a climate disaster, the first or natural disaster, the first thing that we say is send in the army. And especially in the Pacific, which is going to be hit hard by climate change, we have made big commitments in that area. And the first responders to any natural disaster in that part of the world is the
1: military. So, wait, in summary, <clears throat> New Zealand's first policy around climate change is do absolutely nothing to stop it, just in order to try and mitigate its effects. Uh, not, not um, do absolutely nothing to stop
2: it. We are still going to be doing some things about it all, but it is a fact that we need to be prepared as well for those climate change mm-hmm. events so when I think, they happen.
0: I think that most parties agree that we need to be prepared for like like climate resilience, right? Like yeah. uh, like rebuilding infrastructure so then it can like weather storms that are mm-hmm. like ever occurring. The issue I think is that climate change functions on a cycle and scientifically we know this now that there is like a tipping point in the very near future right where we have have to kind of do something otherwise it's just like an eternal downfall right so given that that is true, you're basically throwing in the towel because you can't do any... So you're just like, we won't it's, do anything I'll about it, climate change? i
2: put, well, put it to you like this. Right now, we have got some of the lowest carbon emissions in the world. We mm. are a very green economy. It's a case of how much more can we do without completely removing entire sections of our economy or gutting those parts of our economy. Yeah. And at the end of the day, if you can't pay for it, then it's not going to be so sustainable so and so it's not so going to happen. Sad. So... That's what we need to be trying to do. We need to ensure that we are still able to pay for what we are wanting to do and assist countries overseas in trying to lower their own carbon emissions. But... In foreign affairs, it is very difficult because, as we have seen, there are some countries that have straight up said, no, we're going to be increasing our carbon emissions going forward.
0: For sure. So don't you think that leaves New Zealand in a very uniquely good position to develop things, I don't know, like green agriculture technology, like um, hydro technology for power? Because if we invest in those areas, which are climate reduction areas and then we can sell those overseas, that boosts the economy, right?
2: Uh, It does. And that is an area, of course, that we will be wanting to look into because Mm. when economic policy, sorry, when environmental policy actually becomes economic policy, it becomes extremely good and it's really good to grow those Mm. areas. And so, for example, you're talking about technological development. That is something that we are in favour of. And if there was one thing that really, really annoyed me was that for three years, the government did not expand on those research Mm. grants. And then by the time they did decide to expand on those research grants, a lot of New Zealand-based researchers had left the country because mm. they had been struggling and there was no sign of it coming of, uh, in, within the country anytime
1: soon. So they went overseas where they could get the grants very quickly. Okay, yeah. so several things on that. <clears throat> um, ACT has proposed on getting rid of those grants completely. Does mm-hmm. New Zealand First oppose that?
2: Um, we are not in favour
1: of austerity. So government, that, like that one of your bottom lines? So. We, uh,
2: uh, that is bottom lines for government. That is not my place. You'll need to get okay. Winston <laughs> to <enough>. um, <laughs> ask you about the bottom lines. But Fair you defen- enough. you <laughs> definitely oppose that. We would. We, there are areas that we will be opposing, yes. Mm-hmm. yes. I can't give you specifics around those areas, but th- that is a question for the party leader, and it is also a question as well for when we get into coalition negotiations.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I I suppose coalition Negotiations. this is kind of leads into an interesting path because the top thing at your policy <laughs> list is that you refuse to work with Labour. Do yes. you want to give some kind of insight on that? Because I think it's um, kind of yeah. a more dramatic stance than most parties are taking at the moment.
2: It is. And one of Because um, I was actually an employee in the New Zealand First Leader's Office while we were in government and in coalition with Labour. And so I can't go into too much detail about that. But one of the issues that we did find was that stuff did get hidden. And for example, Hippopo is one of those reports. And it's adamant that it was hidden because you had Willie Jackson stand up in the house and talk about how happy he was that we didn't know about it, that we weren't made aware of it, and how great Mm. it was that COVID came along because he was then able to push it further down the list so he wouldn't have to show it to us. There was a lot of stuff that was happening behind the scenes that we were not made aware of. And Winston has made it very clear that he can't trust Labour and trust is the biggest part of any relationship. And if you can't trust your partner, then it's not going to be a very healthy relationship at all.
0: He was Deputy Prime Minister during that time. How were things effectively hidden from him when he had so much power in Parliament?
2: That's the big question, especially, yeah. And it really does even boggle my mind how it is that we were not made aware about some things because there is the no surprises policy and it, it wasn't essentially followed sometimes and we saw mm. that with some of the work that Labour was doing and they or what that Labour has been doing in the last three years and they've been saying oh it started back in 2017 2019 and we're there scratching our heads going hang on this the that this was never on the cabinet papers. This this was never brought up. Why why weren't we ever brought into the room about this sort of stuff?
0: Hmm. So yeah. so I, I suppose kind of weighing up those two options, you would you would rather work with <clears throat> a party that you don't ideologically side with as much, but is more, like more willing to to talk to you about. Policies are op- implementing, like op- like
2: yeah op- yeah. Openness is the biggest openness and trust is the biggest okay. part of any relationship at the end of the day. And Winston has made it very clear that he does not trust Labour, and so have quite a few former New Zealand First MPs as well that mm. they can't bring themselves to trust Labour anymore. Fair,
0: I, I think. I think just thinking about the implication of that, right? So trust is more important than delivering policy that you think is actually good for New Zealand? I because is that kind well, of the trade-off I right? I wouldn't like... call it that because New Zealand First <laughs> Policy it's that's, that's New- a little no, bit provocative yeah, of me yeah. I, New Zealand, <laughs>
2: New Zealand First Policy always aims to benefit everybody mm-hmm. not just somebody okay. or not just yeah. a small group of people so the policy that we would be wanting to implement would be beneficial of everybody or as mm-hmm. many people as we possibly could okay. be while trying to help those that we cannot help
1: I'm just going to change the topic again now. Yep, sure I think. New Zealand First is often stereotypically seen as just like party for old people. Yes. Like it's an old person party. It's like grey power. <laughs> like it's all that sort of deal. Yeah. So why should yeah. young people vote for New Zealand First? Like what is New Zealand First's policies towards young people? Why, why should we as young people care?
2: in my in my personal opinion New Zealand first does have the best student loan policy it has been around for the last 30 years ironically it has never really been covered because as you said stereotypically the party is viewed as the party only for old people that is not the case at all uh, the party recognises that if you do not have a well educated trained youth then you will not be able to provide for not only their future, but also for the also for elderly and seniors as well. It's a trade off. And so New Zealand First a while back did announce a universal student allowance because it is wrong for us to turn around and tell students, oh no, your parents are earning over seventy thousand dollars per year. They can help look after you because that's just not the case for so many students. And so a lot of students that that are meant or that could be studying actually having to work, and like what we saw in the aftermath of COVID, a lot of students had to drop out of studying and go mm. into full-time work because they just couldn't afford to study anymore. And there were some who have actively said, I'm now waiting until I'm old enough to have my parents' income not be means tested and not be taken into consideration to determine how much money I can get from the yeah. government so I can continue to study. And that is really the case with those intensive degrees, such as law, such as nursing, such as uh, especially in medical fields or even scientific fields. You don't have time to yeah. be working. You have to be studying all the time. And another part of it all is the dollar for dollar payoff scheme which is a little bit of a um, step back into the past, per se, where um, if you, say, study for five years in a field to become a doctor, every year that you stay down here in New Zealand and you work, one year of your student loan will be written off because right now there is no incentive for young people to stay down here in New Zealand after Mm. they have finished their study. For me, my student loan, I think after I just had to pay the, Uh, the um, tax because I'm self-employed, I think it's sitting at around about $44,000. And Mm. in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, do I want to pay off that student loan in a lump sum in the future or do I want to continue to save for my first time? Mm. And for a lot of students, especially when some of them have dual citizenship or like we have just seen in Australia, relaxing the rules for citizenship around New Zealanders, a lot of them are leaving the country and they're just not looking back. Yeah. And they're just saying, I don't care if interest gets put onto my student loan, put interest onto it. I don't care. I'm not going back down to New Zealand. And until the IRD starts employing debt collectors to go after me overseas yeah. or try to force me back home into New Zealand, I'm really not interested in my student loan. I'll just wait for my parents to pass away. And then with my inheritance, I'll just
1: pay off the student loan then. <laughs> so wait, just to clarify, yeah. this dollar for dollar um, yep. f- deal. It applies to all degrees? Um. At the moment, the policy
2: it's it's just been released. Um, one part of it's been released. We are currently doing an update of it as well. Myself and Keegan Livgard, the young New Zealand First president and candidate for um, Dunedin, he is um or he's just submitted that update to the policy. We are really hoping that the update will be accepted. I can't go into too much detail about what that looks like. We just need to wait for that to be announced but, by Winston in the future. But the current policy. The current
0: yeah. policy is at just medical it, field.
2: Um not just medical fields now. At the moment, the policy, as far as I'm aware, is in... I believe it is in fields where we have major, where we have workforce shortages mm-hmm. and then the update is going to be including the people whose degrees do not fall into that area and okay, also yeah. um, a possible suggestion of expanding it but um, I can't go into too much. Okay. Yes. Bit it's a of expansion later on. Yeah, yeah, it will be expanded cool. on later on and it will be announced by Winston and the reason why he hasn't announced it yet is because he's going around provincial New Zealand at the moment and you got to announce stuff that is relevant to the crowd and when the majority of the room uh, 90, uh, 90% of the room is
1: seniors they're not really going to be interested in student loans <laughs> that's, true, that's true fair yeah. enough so other than like student loans and like student allowance what are the other policies that New Zealand First has around young people Um,
2: It's mainly just those ones that we have at the moment that have been announced. Mm -hmm. Um, Another one as well that we have had for a very long time is um, actually working with the um, student unions and this sector to develop 2,000 fees-free degrees for 1st and family So basically for young people, if you're the first in your family who wants to go to university and get your degree, you will get support from the government in order to do that. And it's not Mm -hmm. just a... American style program where they just pick you up, put you into uni and say, okay, no, good luck. It's actually involving that wraparound support for those young people Mm, because for quite a lot of them, um, they need to work while they're studying, not just to support themselves, but to support their families back home. Um, especially um, one of my old flatmates, when he was studying, he was working a lot and the majority of his money wasn't going towards his living expenses. He was having to send it home to support his family because mm-hmm. as the oldest in his family, he had to, the moment he was able to get a job, he had to get a job. The moment he got paid, yeah. it had to go into groceries, yeah. that sort of stuff. So um, that's one thing that we've wanted to do. And also actually work with the student unions and the universities to sort of do a review to ensure that the student union is able to have an active voice in being able to say what it is that we're being taught, why we are being taught it, and also why it is that students are going to that university to begin with to study in that field. Because mm. about a decade ago, the national government did gut student unions with um, removing mandatory student membership and also removing a large amount of funding and student unions have really struggled and we're wanting to work with the unions. Just yesterday I met with Victoria University student union leadership team and we had a really good conversation and I've actually asked them to pass on a lot of the work that they have done around universal student loans to me so that Keegan and I can really push the party to mm-hmm. make that a top a top list yeah. policy. Okay,
0: so, just, oh, oh. so, so, you're getting a lot of people like with these policies into university and through university and getting yep. them to stay. Yep. At the start of the quickfire questions, you said that you thought that, that the biggest issue for young people in New Zealand was yep. the lack of well-paying jobs. Yep. So, how do you make those two things connect to create a better future? Well, right. It,
2: it, it's about that incentive for you to stay down here. I spoke earlier that there is no incentive mm-hmm. to stay. Well. If, say, for example, you finish studying and you can go, well, you know, I could stay down here for three years and then I won't have any student loan and then I can go off and do whatever I want to for as long as I want to and I don't really have to worry about it. And if something bad happens... I'm not going to have an awkward conversation when I get back down to New Zealand with border security because they're pulling me aside due to mm-hmm. my student loan ballooning into hundreds of thousands yeah. of dollars. Um, and so it's and it's about getting young people to remain down here, give New Zealand a um, life in New Zealand, a better shot, mm-hmm. a longer shot, and actually being able to continue to pay into the economy okay, through their wages. In
1: regards to that, how yep. does that lead to higher wages overall for everyone.
0: Or like higher paying jobs like you're talking about.
2: One thing that I said earlier is that the party wants to adjust the tax brackets for um, pay to inflation so that you're not going to be working more and getting poorer or getting a pay increase because minimum wage has increased but because you're working so much that puts you into a higher tax bracket now you're not getting as much money. But Um, that's
0: not generating higher paying jobs though, right? That's just like adjusting tax for inflation. Those are different things. It puts
2: more money into your pocket. That's the thing. Yeah, Yeah, it increases. it, does, it but, increases real wages. But it's, it does, like, but it's not increasing high value jobs. It's, yeah,
0: well,
2: it still gives you an incentive to stay down here. Okay. That's the big yeah. thing. Right. Yeah. Okay. Because, okay. because half of my friends have left this country for mm. overseas. Mm. And one of the biggest things that they've said to me is, what's keeping me down there in New Zealand? It will take me 20 years to pay off my right. student loan. And that is always the big kicker there is no quick way for young people to pay off their student loans. So the but if you offer them a way to pay mm. off their student loan quickly, sure. a lot of them would be willing to stay down here. So
0: then reframing that a bit, the the problem is not – a lack of high-paying jobs. The The problem is a lack of incentive to stay in yeah. New it, Zealand. It, it is a lack it's of incentive. It's like ince- a cost-of-living problem, It is right? a lack
2: of incentive to stay in New Zealand. The party does, I believe, have a policy coming out soon about pay polarity uh, because, as we have seen, mm-hmm. Australia is just headhunting nurses, even now police officers and teachers. Everybody, yeah. Yeah, absolutely everybody and it's feeding the student export economy while our own government is struggling to deliver on vital services especially in the health sector where Mm. nurses are just about done with everything and so are the doctors. And it's just there's no incentive for young people to stay down here anymore. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Cool. Cool. Yeah, I think As a kind of last question or like thought is going back to this idea that New Zealand First is like maybe a party for older people, or at least has been perceived that way. I think that a large part of that is because you like a lot of your policy is like somewhat socially conservative, right? Mm -hmm. Like you've come up with policy saying that you want to like legislate transgender people out of bathrooms. You have like policy that wants to remove us from the United Nations Declaration of like Indigenous Rights. Um, I think that those things don't really translate or, like, um, they don't sit well with young people. A lot of people, Mm. young young people, I don't know, especially for those in Wellington Central, are definitely a lot more on the progressive end, do Mm. not resonate with those policies at all. Why should we still vote for you, given that you stand for things that I think a lot of young people don't support?
2: One of the things to remember with the UN Declaration on um, Indigenous Rights is that it was actually first put forward to the government back in 2007 or 2008 under the Helen Clark government. And both Labour and New Zealand First at that point in time refused to sign that declaration because of what to it that, that contained.
1: And negotiations did change that, right? Uh,
2: no, it was the key government that later signed it. And when the key government signed it, there was a lot of critique that John Key didn't actually know what New Zealand was signing up for. And one of the reasons, well, Winston and Shane have both got their own views on the best ways to help Maori and help Indigenous people and Pacifica here in New Zealand. And that is the path that they are wanting to go and that some of the things within it are very, very divisive. It is very divisive. Mm -hmm. And then you end up having accusations levied towards people such as David Seymour that they're only using Maori heritage for political gain. They're only using Mm -hmm. it for certain things. And or in one case, we saw a Labour MP turn around and tell a ACT Party MP that they're a bad Maori and they have a pahika lens and that they need to come back over onto the right side now that sort of attitude is very divisive and there are multiple voices on how to help people and Mm -hmm. Winston and Shane have their own view and that does not align with what the UN Declaration (laughs) is saying or what other parties have in mind for the best way Mm -hmm. and that at the end of the day is politics. We all agree that there are issues and we all agree that we need to help people but we just have different ways of going about it.
0: For sure. I think think just what I would say is firstly, the UN Declaration is not legally binding so Mm. we don't have to do anything, right? So I like... Mm. And I think the idea is that we can sign up to promote the idea that we should mm-hmm. respect Indigenous rights and we should act in those areas. We don't have to do everything that's on that declaration, mm-hmm. but surely it promotes a good international image and and at least a willingness of the government to engage in those areas because if you, if you remove it from like whatever we've signed up to, surely that removes it from a public eye if this is something that we're prioritising well, as a government. Well, the
2: government is already working with a lot of groups around things such as poverty, jobs, and ways to Mm -hmm. get um, people, especially Maori, out of some of the horrible statistics that they are Mm overrepresented in. So it really if you remove it it, like you said it's not legally binding it probably won't have a massive effect on those issues but it's also the fact that because it's not legally binding people can turn around and say well no you've signed up for this so you have to be doing this you have to be working towards this you have to be doing it. So
0: that's just not true because we're like one of the most developed in terms of indigenous rights in the world people aren't turning around and saying we have to do anything because everybody else that signed up to it also isn't like is doing worse than we are right so I don't actually know if I believe that
2: (laughs) Well yeah it, it all depends depends on who you talk to, and um, with my work, I have spoken to some people who have turned around and said, no, we've signed up for this, so we have to be doing this. Mm-hmm. We have to be going yeah. down that route, Fair and it if no. the government even yeah. starts to deviate from them, then we're going to be reminding them about their rights and obligations under that. Yeah. So and, it's like that's to, one of, and even when it's a case of just turning around and saying, well, we have a different view on how to, say, fix poverty in this area that is predominantly
1: affecting Maori,
2: they'll turn around and say, oh, no, that, that doesn't fit in with what this treaty is saying.
1: Mm, okay, yeah. yeah, like pulling back out from that, like, I guess the over, the, over, the overarching question, though, is like, there's this big, a lot of the rhetoric that New Zealand First is putting mm. forward about this war on woke is very reminiscent of like the Republican Party in the States with like Ronda Sanders and Trump. It's like very similar comments. So how do you sort of rationalize having those sort of positions with like mm-hmm. trying to attract young people who those are just morally repulsive to?
2: Well, it's important for you to look at just how divisive it is over there in the United States, in the United Kingdom, and how Bad, some things actually happening, and just going, okay. So, we are starting to see that sort of dripping into the country. We're starting to see those contentious issues that used to be quite small ballooning up into big issues and turning into very, very divisive debates. Let's nip this in the bud right now and actually stop us from falling down into this massive culture war where we can't have another opinion without people heckling you or trying to go Mm. after you. Let's try to um, stop any of that sort of stuff from happening, learn from what is happening overseas and actually implement policy that so that we are answering those questions immediately, rather than in five years' time, the debate is now so incredibly toxic and divisive that we are no longer able to properly fix it because it will never be good enough for absolutely anybody Hmm. at all.
0: Do you think that politicians and parties campaigning on culture war makes it more divisive? Because I would probably say yes.
2: Yes. at the end of the day, it's yes and it's no. Okay, There are some people who will just go, you know what, this is an issue that I am seeing. I would like to see this issue get fixed or I would like to see it actually be addressed. And that is one thing about it all. The Addressing contentious issues, it brings up into the forefront things that people have a problem with that no other politician is willing to talk about or have that Mm. voice on. And Winston Peters has always been very clear that he will have a voice on an issue. If he believes that it is an issue, if he sees something happening overseas that he doesn't think is right and that it's starting to come down here to New Zealand, he will have a voice on it. And the party has always been, let's try to fix this before it gets even worse. Because if you go too far over to one side, it becomes even more divisive. And then, It doesn't end up working out. You end up with this massive rift in between, and New Zealand First wants to be able to bring people together and actually say, These are the issues. This is what the problem is. How can we resolve this issue in a manner that is fair to everybody and that is not advantage or not giving certain people an advantage because of something that they have? The party believes very firmly that everybody has got equal rights and everybody Hmm. is to be treated the same.
0: Um, as like a final, you, like, here's a final opportunity for you to do a bit of a, <laughs> a, a spiel. If, you, if there's one thing you want to say, if there's one thing you want people to this know. Like final
2: plug. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Call to action. At the, at the moment, um, look at the polls, what we are currently seeing. Last night's poll came out and it was a National Act government. You can be sure that it will be the tail wagging the dog of that government. Mm-hmm. And you can look at what Act is proposing and it is austerity and austerity does not work. It is, And it's austerity to be implemented right before Christmas. (laughs) Mm. And so I would say that um, give your electorate vote to whoever you want. But when it comes down to the party vote, you need to ask yourself the question, on election night, do I want to be watching David Seymour with his mile-wide grin going on about how happy he is that they're going to be implementing austerity, they're going to be doing all these massive cutbacks – all of it right before Christmas and Mm. all of the work that has been done in fields such as poverty reduction, such as in climate change space and environmentalism. Do you want to see all of that work go down and have David Seymour talking about how it's all going to get undone? Mm. Or would you rather listen to Winston Peters talking on election night about upcoming coalition negotiations? Mm. It is better for you to have a centralist government a centralist right leaning government than it is for you to have a far right libertarian government, and that is what the act Party is. It is a libertarian party it's mm. on their website <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and I know that isn't exactly the choice that you probably want to be making, mm. but it, and I know that people are probably thinking well the more more votes that we get to the greens, the more they can really hamper those those actions. If you're not in, in government, and if the opposition has the majority, you're not going to be hampering anything. Mm. That's it. So please, party vote New Zealand First, so that we can bring in a centralist government that will be there for everybody, not just somebody like ACT. Once.
0: Cool. cool. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. <laughs> we will see you next week, guys. Thank you so much for coming on, Taylor. It's been a really good, good discussion. Thank <laughs> you for
2: having me. I really appreciate it. <laughs>